One chance, one life, one take. Little room for mistakes. Welcome to Dead Funny, Dead Serious. Uh, this is the 30 End of Life Doulas in 30 Days series. My name is Mitzi Weiland and I'm the host today. Today, our End of Life Doula is Summer Deagle. Hi, Summer. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Summer is coming to us from Seattle, Washington, and your business is Sunflower Services. And let's just dive right in. Why did you come into the end of life doula? Sure. Yeah. Um, I I started on death care kind of randomly. Um, I started um, when I was 16. There's a healthcare vocational education program at my high school. And so you could go through that track and get a, a certified as a nursing assistant. Um, my family is low income. I was looking for a job at the time anyway. So I figured this would be um, a nice uh, way to sort of get um, into a job that could also be maybe a career path for myself. Um, I have experienced a lot of deaths in my own family. And so I was pretty familiar with death and also taking care of elders in my family. Um, And just like uh, other family members who um, had died of cancer or other things. And so um, yeah, I like got into death care sort of twofold um, through my family and then through that nursing assistance license. And I'm in my eighth year now of um, this work in death care. Uh, as a doula, I kind of heard of doulas in passing. Um, a friend of mine toward the end of my junior year in college told me about doulas and sort of I was like lamenting about healthcare and talking about um, how I was sort of feeling more pulled to spiritual care and uh, just looking for a different model. And my friend Anna was like, oh, well, have you heard of doulas? I feel like you would be really interested in um, supporting people through death that way. Um, and there are kind of two things about me that come into play <laughs> at, at that point. I, I really love science fiction. And also my family um, has taught me to be really skilled in crisis planning. And so like non-perishable foods, clean water for state resources, but also building skills. Um, And to be really honest, when I first heard about doulas, I was like, wow, these are gonna be really great uh, skills to begin developing for the apocalypse. And I already love caring for people who are dying anyway. so if there's going to be a natural disaster or a zombie apocalypse or a climate crisis in the future, you name it, um, we're going to need doulas there and we're going to need death doulas there. So why not? <laughs> well, that's a unique roundabout way to come into doula work. Lamenting about healthcare, as we do, and the zombie apocalypse. Um, that was written by Miriam Zola Perez. And um, it's a resource for beginning to think about equity, access, and health justice um, for birth doulas. And uh, Miriam Perez talks a lot about um, the impacts of uh, death, whether through um, a death of a baby during a birth that was unexpected or um, abortion or miscarriage and um, how these like small shifts um, are really important to to birth doula learning and to pregnancy. Um, 
and how like our identities play into our role as doulas. And I was like, yes, that that is sort of what I'm looking for. Um, so I began to study with different training programs, uh, doula training programs starting in 2017. And the first one I found um, some years ago was with Carrie Kenner and Adeline Hill here in Seattle. It was the um, Big Belly Birth Services training. And it was actually in that cohort that somebody was like, there are death doulas. Um, and I was like, yes, okay, end of life doulas. That's what I was looking for. Um, and I just hadn't quite gotten there yet. Um, and so after that initial birth worker training, I found a sacred passing and uh, took my training there with Ashley Benham. Um, and then uh, after that, I've learned some from Amy Wright Glenn with the Institute of uh, Birth, Breath and Death and Erica Davis with Whole Body Pregnancy. Um, all of which take a really holistic approach to end of life and talk about how end of life can happen, you know, at all stages of life and may impact us at different moments. Um, and as, as a full spectrum doula, I really want to center people's choice in end of life, whether it's like medical aid and dying or reset, um, voluntary stopping eating and drinking, or if it's uh, related to a pregnancy, whether it's unexpected or expected. I love that you bring in the full spectrum piece as well as consent. Is there any resources, you know, so you went through these trainings, are there any resources specifically that you could, off the top of your head, I'm putting you on the spot, uh, but about consent at end of life? At end of life specifically, I, I think that there are some resources that I've seen um, that touch on like a medicalized conversation of consent um, in end of life. There is a Oh, I'm going to have to look this up after to find the exact name, but there is a consent handbook that's put out by um, one of the disability justice collectives at, that touches on consent sort of in all aspects of our lives. And I think it could be a really great resource for doulas. It definitely has been for me. Um, and it's just like a, a thorough introduction to consent. I think also um, the Baynard Center for Research on Women did a, a accountability justice series, um, a transformative justice series where they talk about accountability, consent, and um, just like different ways of taking care of one another in community. And that could be a really uh, great resource for, for doulas as well. Um, but I think we're still, I think we're still in the process of figuring out as a community what consent means um, to really care about one another and and also be in reciprocal relationship to the earth. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing um, what people do right in the future about consent and how we can grow into a, like a community centered approach a little bit better. When we're talking about mental health as well and dying in all these vulnerable situations, consent is just one more piece, right? Consent is important from birth to death. And then we add in all this complication with the family systems and we're going to try to give all the resources we can. If we have any of those, I'll put the links in, in the show notes below, the ones we can find and anyone else can comment and put them in below as well. And then, you know, it has to start somewhere getting this list ready for everyone. So that's how you got to, you did a lot of trainings and you found a niche that worked for you. What challenges have you found? Yeah, um, 
I think that some of the challenges that I found um, are related to uh, the way I think we relate to one another in, in the um, community of doulas and also just in the death care industry. We still very much have a, a lot of individualized approaches to death care. Um, and uh, we have a lot of people who practice independently and a lot of people who practice with institutions. And I think that um, to sort of be in relationship to one another, um, we have to have more conversations about how we can approach a, a community-centered death care a little bit differently. Um, because I see, I think one of the challenges um, is that gaining respect and recognition in the current medical system is really hard for doulas. And so there have been different approaches to doing that. And um, one of those ways that is a portion of the doula community have sort of looked for more mainstream and established ways to relate to the medical system uh, in our own model. And some of those things are through certification programs. Um, and the process for certification varies so much from organization to organization. Uh, and it's important for doulas to know, I think, that certification is optional. Um, and it sometimes isn't presented as an option, but it's important for clients to see that too. Um, and even training programs are optional. Um, and while I think it's important to, to not skip steps in, in our learning and in our processing and to really be in reciprocal relationship to our teachers, um, I also think each person should seek training and mentorship that fits their needs and speaks to their values. Um, and so I think it's important that those things remain up to each person uh, and aren't chosen by the state or by institutions because we still don't see a lot of the death care that we want to see in those places. Um, and so if we try to conform to them to, to fit the system standards, then we might lose a lot of what is so great about death care um, and home death care uh, and doulas overall. Um, Another challenge, I think, is that a lot of curriculums don't discuss important topics like gender, race, class, and sexual orientation. And a, a lot really assume that we are all working with heterosexual, white, wealthy people. And uh, not all the people in my community fit that description. And I want to make connections between all of my identities, including my low income status, my queerness, disability, Christianity, earth worship. Um, and explore how my political perspectives inform my work as a doula, uh, because to be able to take a non-judgmental approach, it's it's really important to understand ourselves and to be able to, um, you know, tend to our teachers and and practice. Um, I I just keep coming back to the word reciprocity, just to you know to really lean on each other so that we can take care of people the right way, because none of us have died yet. Um, we're just figuring it out. You brought up so many interesting pieces there with certification. What I am just my two cents on what I've heard, because I do talk to a lot of end of life doulas. I am not an end of life doula, but I do speak with a lot of people and people ask me, how do you become an end of life doula? And there's, it's almost a quick reaction. They're like, oh, I want to be an end of life doula. Oh, there's a certification. It seems like I need to get that certification 
you know, I'm going for it. And there's no slow down, um, see what you need from this education. I think it's important that you said that we have to talk, uh, there has to be more conversation happening with all the end of life doulas to see where we can get everyone together so the state doesn't answer it. And even if the state's gonna do something, they have to have some guidance from people actually doing the work on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I take everything really slow. I, I have to, I make a lot of mistakes when I don't. Um, but I think that I'm, even though I've been in the end of life care field for, for nearly eight years now, I am growing my skills as a doula really newly. And I think that being young and in a position of learning and reciprocity with teachers that I have is a huge privilege. Like it feels sacred to me that as a young person, I can one, feel pulled to work at the threshold. And then on top of that, be invited to witness people who have been practicing at the threshold for, you know, tens of years. And, and um, it's, I think it's where I felt in Christian tradition, there's a term called agape love. It's the unconditional ancestral generational love. Um, and it requires being mindful of the people in our community who've offered wisdom to us. Um, and like, I, I want to be a body worker and I want to learn skills to like massage the feet of my teachers, like really hear those stories. And I know that my education is going to be lifelong. So I'm not, I'm not concerned with being a beginner. Um, I, I feel very comfortable that I have a chance to continue researching, listen to more books or podcasts, you know, read more books. Um, and really discuss how my identity, my political advocacy are intertwined with this work. Um, I've named some of my teachers before, but I, I witness a lot of powerful educators building and updating curriculum all the time. And um, I urge people who wanna learn to be a doula to really slow down. There's no accreditation for this. Um, and I, I think that people should look at the different models and consider what's authentic to them. Um, I, to recognize this work as community-centered means to honor it as such without creating gates or replicating patterns or keeping others out of the care that we're claiming to want to give out to one another. And so I encourage people to really seek long-term mentorship. Um, you know, not just somebody who can guide you for a year, but who are the people in your family who have already been taking care of people who are dying, even if they don't call themselves doulas, um, who are the people in um, your church community and your organizing groups in, um, you know, in the mail office, like you never, you just never know where you're going to find people, um, rather than to try to practice alone, because in accountability and care work is really important. That's how we keep ourselves safe in the work. Um, it's how we keep our clients and our community members safe. Uh, yeah, so it, it opens a whole can of, of things for me, but I, I do want people to know that it's, it's okay to take it slow. Getting a certification doesn't mean you're ready um, and, and it's also not required. So if you want it, if, if you need it for some of the institutions you work with, or if there's a regulation that comes up in your state, um, by all means, take care of yourself and practice in ways that feel comfortable to you. Um, you know, there, there's options. Yeah. This is going to be the go-to episode, in my opinion. Oh, geez. 
for anyone that is just thinking about becoming an end of life doula, right? They need to hear those words that you just said, which are slow down, see what's out there, find the people in your space already that have some knowledge and then, and then start building. And that, I mean, so what I know is that so many people go and get the certification and do all the trainings and are not actually end of life doulas, right? They put out their shingle and no one's coming to do this and they don't feel confident to do it. So we do need to take a step back and, and figure out where we sit and what we need and, and what the community needs in this field. So yeah. go to episode gold stars, you, you're doing it. <laughs> oh, the teacher's pet that's always been inside of me is like glowing, <laughs> my little queer heart. <laughs> <laughs> Any way that I can help. Okay. So if you ever need gold stars, you can just call me up summer. Uh, <laughs> So what, final question, what are your hopes for the field of endometriosis? Oh, um, honestly, I, this, is it okay if I have kind of a long answer? Okay. I, I think that honestly, my hopes is that everything changes, like everything, everything. I mean, it, it always does, right? Change is always ongoing. Um, Octavia Butler says change is God. Uh, but uh, because I, I want us all to have creative, cyclical, powerful lives before we greet death. Um, and right now, a lot of people's chance for that is, is taken from them. I, I've had um, survivors of suicide and deaths by suicide in my family. I've had deaths by overdose in my family. Um, and I, you know, we have political leaders who have excessive funding in the military and policing, and I, I want that money in healthcare instead. Um, and I want to see a radical shift towards climate justice so that we can breathe air before we die. And I, I want people to have access to parental leave and mourning and bereavement leave, right? Not just three days. Like, what the, what is, what is that? Like, we, we need to be able to care for ourselves and one another. And, um, and I want indigenous people to have their land back and the government to um, change their institutions and uplift black communities with reparations and, and every building and public transportation system to work and be accessible for people with disabilities. Um, because all of that means a good life and that's the only way to have good death care. And I believe that's all possible. Um, but communities might be working towards that for longer than my lifetime. And I'm describing a future that I would be proud of, that I would want to do death care in, um, in a different way, like a, like a heart want that doesn't like hurt so bad because it's really hard sometimes. And that's um, also my interpretation of a kingdom of God. Um, uh, in Christian tradition, that would be the world we want to live in on earth, um, a space for love that we can't even comprehend yet. Um, and I have been taught that love is an action word uh, about taking a stance on something. Um, for a different analogy, as a little kid, I fell in love with Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. I promise I won't go on forever. But um, <laughs> I always thought God herself would be something like Wonderland, like the whole place of Wonderland. Um, and the story really has it all, like quirky characters, brave heroine, uh, a world where anything can happen. And one of the best exchanges, one of the most famous exchanges is between the characters when Alice tells the queen, there's no use in trying. One can't believe in impossible things. And the queen responds, hmm, I dare say you haven't had much practice. 
when I was your age. I always did it for at least half an hour a day. Why, I even sometimes imagined six impossible things before breakfast. And that's just like, yes, <laughs> like that's what we want in death care. What are the options? Are there more options than we see immediately? How many times have we convinced ourselves of something being impossible before we even tried it? Um, I learned the doula model of care because I was looking for the impossible because I want something different and I don't know what it is, but there's a bunch of people trying to make something. So um, something that's been done before, something that we're returning to. Uh, so, so why not? Why not? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I hope everything changes, but I also, I think we're on our way and I think we're doing the best we can. It sounds like you're filled with creativity and love. Well, thank you. Um, my other job is as a children's minister, so I get to learn from the best of the best, you know, the like four-year-olds. <laughs> they can teach you everything, so amazing. All right, I, that was a lot of great information. Again, you're the go-to for the first. I think that that's really important. I think people should start here, move forward uh, because it's the stepping stones of why we're doing this, how you're doing it, slow down. I think that's the best advice so far. Uh, all the trainings are lovely. Everything is good. It's good for different people. And there's still room. There's room for a lot of growth and change and acceptance and connection. And uh, it, there's a lot. And, right, we're going in some kind of good direction, it seems, if people like you are joining this, this field. So just want to thank you again, Summer. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I, um, I have had a lot of really incredible teachers. I still do. Um, and I'll, I'll make sure to send uh, some of those really wonderful uh, resources so that we can have them in the description too. Yeah, let's give all them all the information, right? Yeah. You got to start somewhere. This is a good place to start. Well, thank you again, Summer. So all of Summer's information is going to be in the show notes, Sunflower Services, the sunflowercycle.com. You can find Summer on Instagram at ProCollectivePNW and at A Sacred yeah. Passing. All the lovely listeners, thank you for listening. Please, please, please write a review. It tells us to make more of this content. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. And then go on over to Instagram and like us there. If you're not already following us on Instagram, uh, if you are, go on over to TikTok and follow us there because that's super fun. Why not? And we will see you in the next episode. Yay. Thanks so much. <laughs>